0: know but to say okay these leaders who we respect and trust and have been so connected to us in our life who thought uh, uh, that it was God's leading for us to come 14 years ago because they offered me the job that I came for 14 years ago in 2004 Uh, we trusted them then what does it mean for us to trust them now that maybe God is using them again to lead us Uh, are we open will we be open what is it that God has for us in that And so we quickly realized, this is not something that we can just decide, but this is something that we need to discern. And uh, a few days later, ended up, among other things, uh, calling my spiritual director. I was supposed to meet with her on a Friday, and uh, instead we did a phone call. And we did a phone call for about an hour as we were driving to Chicago to get my wife's passport renewed in time for us to fly two weeks later to London so that we could consider this and begin to walk that process out. And my spiritual director uh, put us into a process of discernment, uh, put us into the, uh, the discipline of discernment, what I'll call decision discernment. And I'm going to come back to that phrase later today as we go along. Eventually told our kids, eventually continued with the plans to visit the church and the team in London. And there was this realization in the process, and especially after we received our answer, that discernment is not only meant to be decision discernment, but discernment's also meant to have a daily aspect in our life to prep us and train us for the times where discernment comes of decision and discernment so there's this there's this realization that oh oh, god actually invites us to the practice of discernment really on a daily basis And it's meant to prep us and train us because there are going to be decisions, life-altering decisions and other just decisions along the way that also come that, that mean it's like decision discernment. And this daily discernment is meant to kind of prep and train us for the moments of decision where we need discernment for what God has for us. I was a little familiar with this. My spiritual director had set me up for this. But in doing this kind of discernment over six weeks, which I'll share more about later, it became very obvious that this kind of discernment in a daily basis is also God's invitation and practice. What place has discernment had in your life? What decisions have you had to make in your life that have needed discernment of what God wanted you to do? How have you made those decisions? Pro and con list? Prayer, talking to people, asking them what they think, getting their insight on a whim, just trusted your gut and went with it and made the decision, walked down the college campus and said, oh, it must be this one. All right, here we go. Sign me up. Not visiting any more schools or applying to any more schools. How has discernment played a role in your spiritual journey? Do you have a practice of consistent or daily discernment that then enhances The moments where decisions come and you need discernment of what God wants you to do or where God is leading. Where it's not just a decision, like I'm making a decision, but God, I need you to give me an answer. If I'm honest with myself and with you, I'm not as intentional still to this day, even after my past experiences, with discerning God's leading. I'm still not as consistent as I'd like to think I am or as I'd like to be. In the decision-making times, I can so easily and vulnerably fall back into trusting myself, trusting myself to do the pro and con list in a good way, trusting myself to think through the the, what, what makes sense and what doesn't make sense of the significant aspects of making a decision. And to the latter, that daily discernment, it's just not always on my radar. I just don't always wake up thinking, okay, God, I need to be in tune with you and I want to be in tune with you for all these little decisions throughout the day. So that's what we're going to talk about with this spiritual practice of discernment, this sacred rhythm of discernment, as Ruth Haley Barton describes in her book. And this is how she defines discernment. It's the quality of attentiveness to God. So it's us being attentive to God that is so intimate that over time we develop an intuitive sense of God's heart and purpose for any moment. Discernment is developing this quality of atten- attentiveness to God. So throughout our day, we have this attentiveness to God. Our antenna is up. God is always speaking, right? Just like there's radio frequencies out there. And the antenna goes up to actually catch the frequency for the station. In this case, that our, our discernment is our, the quality of our attentiveness to God to have our antenna up in such a way that is so intimate that we develop actually an intuitive sense of what God wants what God's heart is, what God's purpose is in any given moment that we find ourselves. So whatever moment we are in, we, we very quickly can ascertain, oh, God is, is leading me to say this in this moment to this person. But then out of that kind of attentiveness to discern, of discernment in the daily, when we then come to seasons of discernment where we need to make a decision, we have this quality of attentiveness to God built up we've developed it, we've strengthened it. It's a habit that forms us, it's a spiritual discipline that forms us to move us, as Barton says, from spiritual blindness to spiritual sight. It's a spiritual discipline that is that has practicality for daily and times of decisions. And what is unique about discernment that connects to our messages on the renewal of relationships is that when we practice discernment, we are invited to practice it together with one another. And when we do that, it deepens our relationships. So here's where we're gonna go today. We're gonna talk about what is discernment from the scriptures. How does discernment actually deepen our relationships? How is it connected to our relationships? Our personal discernment connecting in relationally. And then just how do we do it practically? What does it look like to do daily? What does it look like to do in times of decision? And again, it all fits in with this summer of renewal and our our vision for what we are seeking and pursuing. Let's recap that for a moment. Again, for both Nate and his family and us as congregation, this summer is about practicing attentiveness to God's renewing work. That's what the the renewal team came up with as the theme and the vision led by God to say, this is what we want to be about this summer. We want to practice attentiveness to God's renewing work. And we'll do this by listening to the Spirit and practicing new rhythms of reflection. So we spent June reflecting on spiritual practices that particularly related to the renewing of ourselves. We talked about our desires. What do we long for? And then the practices and the habits that form those desires to be for God and God's kingdom instead of idolatrous desires. So we talked about prayer and we talked about engaging with scripture, particularly with Lectio Divina. We talked about examine and the role that examine does to nurture and cultivate our desire for God. Now, this week and next week, we're going to focus on the renewal of relationships and how discernment, the spiritual practice of discernment, and Sabbath, the spiritual practice of Sabbath, the sacred rhythms that they are, how they are part of renewing our relationships, one with another. So again, what is discernment? It's the quality of attentiveness to God, the quality of our attentiveness to God, so that we develop an intuitive sense of God's heart. We just know what God's heart is. It's what Ben described last week, Ben Sternke, when he preached from uh, Luke chapter 10 about Mary and Martha, that it's uh, the discernment is the opportunity for us to sit at the feet of Jesus and to believe the good news that we will receive a fresh word from Jesus in any moment that we need it. It's all about the attentiveness for the here and now life. And it includes our posture and our practice of being open to what God has to reveal. And it's exactly what Jesus modeled for us in his own life. So let's look at that together. Let me invite you to turn to to John chapter 5. We are going to jump around in John in three different places, four different places actually, John chapter 5, and connect some dots in John chapter 5 about how Jesus modeled a discerning life and what that teaches us about what we can expect when we engage discernment. What we can be confident about that if we will discern if we'll sit before god to listen to god what god wants to do And jesus shows us this teaches this to us and reveals this to us in john beginning in john chapter 5 John chapter 5 the context is a time of jewish festival. Jesus has gone up to the festival In jerusalem. It's also the sabbath And so jesus has just healed on the sabbath and there's a bunch of controversy of course with the pharisees because he healed on the sabbath And that to them was work So John chapter five, verse 16. So the Jewish leaders began harassing Jesus for breaking the Sabbath rules because he had just healed. But Jesus replied, my father is always working and so am I. Now let me just say there's an implication there. When Jesus says this, he's saying, my father's always working. Even on the Sabbath, my father's working. In other words, in in Jewish, Hebraic thought of that time, the the reason God worked on the Sabbath, even though God rested, as we know from the story of Genesis chapter 1, is because God sustains all life. In him, we live and move and have our being, as Paul says in Acts. In Colossians chapter 1, in the reconciliation of all things, God is behind all things. In Colossians chapter 3, Christ who is our life. Literally, we have life and breath every day because God sustains life. So God's work, quote-unquote, that it's always being done, is that God is sustaining life, even when God is resting. That's the Hebraic thought of that phrase when Jesus says, my father is always working. And so am I. So, continuing in verse 17, so the Jewish leaders tried all the harder to find a way to kill Jesus. For he had not only broken the Sabbath, he had just called God his father, thereby making himself equal with God. Blasphemy to them. So Jesus explained, I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself. Pause on that for a moment. Just, just pause and let's remember something. We easily think of Jesus then as Jesus to us now. Jesus Christ, God who would know everything and can do everything. But, but note what Jesus just said himself. The son can do nothing by himself. This is likely why, for example, the, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't remember the the stories before jesus turned 30 and the spirit descended on him The the pseudo stories of jesus's healing that's in some of the other books of the bible that uh, Excuse me not of the bible, but that were not put into the bible as canon They're called it Either could be an apocrypha or they could be called pseudographical um, Pseudo is the word there pseudo written uh, There's different ones out there. So like there's a story of G- jesus. I think it's like what taking like Clay pigeons and turning him into real pigeons or something like that. Anyway So those types of things, the idea is that, no, Jesus actually wouldn't have done miracles then. Why? Because the Spirit wasn't upon Jesus yet. So in other words, Jesus could only do what the Father enabled him to do, that that connection for them, because Jesus was human. In a sense, Jesus had set aside his divinity when Jesus became human, Philippians chapter 2, and the passage that we, we may know there that speaks of that. So he says again, the son can do nothing by himself. He only does what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, then the son does. For the father loves the son and the father shows the son, shows him everything that he is doing. In fact, the father will show him how to do even greater works than healing this man. Then you will truly be astonished. Again, take note of verse 17. The son does nothing by himself. He does what the father does. And then verse 20, the father loves the son. So the father shows the son what the father is doing. What's the implication here? Jesus had some form of discernment going on. In any moment, Jesus was trying to figure out, Father, what are you up to? What are you doing? Now, what do you want me to do with that? Turn over to John 14. John 14. We're going to look at three different passages within 14 to 17. The context of John 14 to 17, or actually it starts in John 13, 13 to 17, is the night before his betrayal. This is washing of Jesus' feet, Last Supper, and 14 to 17 is Jesus talking with his disciples over what we call the Last Supper. And Philip has just asked Jesus to show them the Father. Philip has just asked them to show him the Father. So this is Jesus' reply, starting in verse 9 of chapter 14. Have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak to you, they're not my own. They're not my own. But my Father who lives in me does his work through me. Just believe that I'm in the father and the father is in me or at least believe because of the work you have seen me do I tell you the truth Anyone who believes in me will do the same works. I have done. Oh and even greater works So jesus has kind of turned the corner the first kind of verses here are hey philip This is about me and the father and I basically do what the father tells me to do and we're one in all this So if you've seen me you've seen the father. Oh, but now by the way Philip and all of you sitting here, let me tell you this. Those of you who believe in me, trust in me, entrust yourself to me, follow me. Those of you who believe in me, you're going to do these works. Oh, and even greater works. He's just transitioned to you and me as well. Even greater works because I'm going to the Father. So you can ask for anything in my name and I will do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me anything, for anything in my name, and I will do it. Now jump down to verse 23 of chapter 14. Later on, he says, "'All who love me will do what I say. "'My Father will love them, "'and he will come and make his home with each of them. "'Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me. "'And remember, my words are not my own. "'What I'm telling you is from the Father who sent me. "'But I am telling you these things now while I'm still here.'" But when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is, the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything. He will remind you of everything. So John 14, well, pause. John 5, the Son only does what the Father is doing. The Father lovingly shows the Son what the Father's doing. And so the Son discerns, Jesus discerns, what are you doing, God? I'm going to join you in that. John 14, those of you who believe in me, you'll do even greater works than I've been doing, because you'll be connected to me, and by being connected to me, you'll be connected to the Father, and you'll do even greater works. And oh, by the way, the Holy Spirit will come, the Father and I, Jesus speaking, will send the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will teach you, and the Holy Spirit will remind you of these things back here that I've taught you and shared with you, and of these things that we did when the Father and I were working together on it. So the son sees what the father is doing. The father shows the son what the son is doing, what the father is doing, excuse me. And the son joins the father. And in John 14, we start to see the implication that the same is going to be true for us. Look now in John 16 as the conversation continues. John 16, verse 12. John 16, verse 12. There's so much more I want to tell you, but you can't bear it now, Jesus says to them. But when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He'll tell you what he's heard. Who's he heard it from? The son and the father, Jesus and and God. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. He'll tell you about the future. He'll bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. Jesus speaking to the spirit, the spirit speaking to the disciples. All that belongs to the father is mine. This is why I said, the spirit will tell you whatever he receives from me. The Spirit will guide you into all truth, speaking only what the Spirit hears from God. The Spirit will make known what the Spirit receives. So in John 5, we learn that Jesus does whatever he sees the Father doing. In John 14, we learn that those who believe will do the works Jesus has been doing, and even greater ones. And what are those works? Well, based on what we learn in John 5, the works that we're going to do, that disciples do, they're whatever the Father is doing. And the Holy Spirit will be sent to teach and remind of that. And then in John 16, there's the emphasis that the Spirit will guide the disciples of Jesus to do only what the Spirit receives from Jesus. And all of this is drawn together for disciples in unity in John 17. Look at John 17, verse 3. John 17. Verse 3, he says, And this is the way to eternal life. To know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. This is Jesus speaking to God and saying, this is what eternal life is. It's to know you. And the word there, by the way, is not head knowledge. The word is the particular, the Greek has multiple words for the word know. And the word know from the Greek here is the word to know by experience, not know by an authority telling you or something you research, but know by actually experiencing it. So to know you, experience you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, the one you sent into the world. First, go down to verse 15. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, Father, but to keep them safe from the evil one. He's talking about the disciples. They do not belong to this world any more than I do, so make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Father, speak to them, show them, Tell them, guide them, remind them. Just as you sent me into the world, I'm sending them into the world. I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so they can be made holy by your truth. But I am praying not only for these disciples in this way, Jesus says, but I'm also praying for everyone who will believe in me because of their message. You and me in this room. The last six verses, particularly of John 17, now Jesus is praying for you and me as well and all who follow him throughout the world. I pray that they will be one just as you are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so the world will believe. Verse 25, oh, righteous Father, the world doesn't know you, but I do. And these disciples know you sent me. I have revealed you to them and I will continue to do so. I have revealed you to them, Jesus tells here. I, Father, have revealed you to the disciples, to those who believe and follow after me, and I will continue to do so. In other words, I used to watch here on earth. I'm used to watching you, Father, and what you're doing, and I join you in that. And now I'm going to continue to reveal what you're doing so the disciples can join you in that. Verse 26 at the end. Then your love for me will be in them, and I will be in them. Experiencing God in Jesus Christ leads the disciples to be sanctified in truth and to be taught the truth and then known by being united with God. The disciples then as well as now loved by God, known by God, knowing God, experiencing God, and having it revealed to them and us having it revealed to us, this is what God is doing because Jesus reveals it to us. And why? So we can join him. I'm reminded of an older Christian devotional that some of you may be familiar with from the 1990s called Experiencing God by Henry Blackaby. Anybody ever do anything with Experiencing God in the workbooks you could do? It's a wonderful devotional to to very uh, simply get you on board in thinking about your daily life with God because the whole premise of Blackaby's work in this devotional was this. God's working, so go join him. You want to experience God? Look for where God is working and just go join God in what God is doing and you will experience God in that way. And that's, in essence, the practice of discernment. The spiritual practice of discernment is attentiveness to what God is doing, just like Jesus did, just like Jesus described in John 5. Just like Jesus then practiced. Just like Jesus then says, this is what I've been doing, and so I'm going to reveal it to you, my disciples, to you, my disciples. So that with the Spirit's leading, with the Spirit's teaching, with the Spirit's guiding, with the Spirit's reminding, we too can join God in that work. Doing what God is and what God is wanting to do in any situation. And then doing it together. Doing it with one another. Discerning what God and Jesus through the Spirit is doing invites us to do with God relationally in unity. We're drawn together. Because we if all of you see where God is working and join together in that work with God, then all of you are also together in unity with God and with each other in what God is doing, whatever that particular piece is of what God is doing. Now it may not be just this section of the of the room and this, of the congregation, but you know what I mean in terms of oh we have a passion for this, we have a sense of call to get involved in this. God's working there, and and let's change it out of this this section and. These two families and one of the families from this section and two of the families from this section come together and the 10 of you, the 14 of you, the 20 of you, however many it is of the families come together and now not only are you joining with what God is doing, you're joining with one another in unity with what God is doing. And that renews our relationships because we are with one another. So what we learn of Jesus' discernment in John is what we can expect for our pursuit as well. Like Jesus, we want to discern what God is doing. We want to know what the Father does and wants to do. So we discern what Jesus is communicating to us through the Spirit. And when we do it, we are drawn into unity, one with another, naturally deepening our relationships, naturally strengthening our relationships because of the unity that is brought to us by doing God's work together. And this is for our daily life, and this is for our times of decision. So how then do you practice discernment? What does it look like to actually do discernment, this attentiveness? What could practically be helpful to us? Well, it actually begins first with our posture. For both daily discernment and decision discernment, our posture is key. And by posture, I'm referring particularly to our beliefs, and our attitudes. And it actually goes back to what we talked about in Examine. It especially goes back to how we see God and what we believe about how God sees us. First, it's that posture of belief of the goodness of God. You and I are going to struggle to trust God and to discern with God and to even want to know what God is doing if we don't believe in the goodness of God. If we don't believe what Psalm 84 says, that no good thing does God withhold from him whose walk is blameless. Now, I'll reference this. I'll go back to the story later on. But certainly there were moments that I had to be reminded, and lovingly so by my wife and my spiritual director and my mom, because she's kind of like a saint. uh, Be reminded, okay, this doesn't feel good right now. London or you're going to be out of a job and that's going to be kind of scary and nerve-wracking. But can you believe in the goodness of God? That no good thing does God withhold from him whose walk is blameless. Am I blameless? Yeah, I believe I'm blameless, not because of what I do, but because of Jesus Christ, his life, death and resurrection. So I can I can hold that verse with confidence. You can hold that verse with confidence because when God looks at you, God sees Jesus. God sees you In your true self in jesus christ which is found in christ so posture begins with the goodness of god do you believe and trust in the goodness of god if you do not trust and believe in the goodness of god you will not want to discern what god is doing because when then god reveals what god is doing you may struggle to accept it because you're struggling to believe it's actually good second is trust it's trust that god is working and it's trust that actually god is communicating To do the practice of discernment is to actually believe God speaks. And I know there are times in my life where I have to go revisit this and say, God, whew, this is a tough one right now. I think I still believe you speak. Because sometimes the silence feels deafening. Have you experienced that in your life where the silence of God can feel deafening? And I'm not going to tell you that, no, God's not silent. You're just not listening, right? Because I don't know that that's true, and I'm not sure I really believe that. I think God's sometimes kind of quiet. There's this waiting period. There's things that are happening. But I, at the same time, believe that though God may seem quiet, God is always active. That's two different things. I do believe God is always active. But the activity sometimes is quiet until the right time. So it's the trust that god is speaking that god is going to speak And as I say i'll reference more in a moment, but without question during this time god Are you going to speak? Are you going to give us this answer? I do not know how to make this decision But sometimes it's just in the daily life god in this in this moment right here god I I don't know what to do. Will you show me can I trust that you'll actually show me The third piece of posture is indifference So the goodness of god trust in god and then indifference Now, when you read the chapter on discernment, Ruth Haley Barton will go into depth about this idea of discernment. It's really significant. It really actually turns into a prayer. Indifference is not not caring. That's not, indifference isn't, ah, I don't care. Indifference is, God, I want what you want. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. That's indifference. God, I, I want you to help me to truly get to a place of a posture of indifference where I am totally just open, open to what you want to do. And it might not totally make sense to me. I might not even like it at first, but I truly, God, want what you want, whether it's a daily moment decision or it's a life-altering decision like moving across the pond. So out of this posture, then, we practice discernment. And how so on a daily basis? Well, I'm going to sum up the daily basis more simply by saying, go back to June 30th and our conversation about examine. The spiritual practice of examine sets you up, sets me up for the daily discernment. That spiritual practice of examine, where we regularly sit in the presence of God and we review our day, and we are grateful for the day. We speak our gratitude back to God. And then we review our day looking for desolation and consolation. Do you remember this conversation? Desolation disconnected with God, consolation connected to God. Desolation, where did I resist God today? Consolation, where did I cooperate with God today? And then resolve, what will I resolve to do now? And, and when we do this on a regular basis, In a rhythm of a practice, it creates a habit in us that we can catch ourselves during the day recognizing desolation, consolation, right? So it's the practice in the meantime that then starts to impact in the daily life and, and not even realizing it. So daily examine is the path towards the daily discernment. Examine that cultivates the practice of god 's presence throughout each day attentiveness to God again that helps us develop an intuitive sense of god 's heart attentiveness in our everyday to see where God is working and what God wants us to do, and we know what to do each day with God because we know we 're supposed to live as Jesus lived and love as Jesus loved, but this gets us into discerning how living and loving like Jesus is supposed to play out while we were on our, our away for uh, almost two weeks traveling down south, we spent a couple of days with some dear friends in Charlotte. And as I talked particularly with the husband of this family, numerous times in our various conversations over the weekend that we were together, he was referencing different contexts of things with work, where he would step back and be asking, okay, God, what? What? my boss just said this. What? What should I say to that? And talked very clearly about how he would sit discerning, God, I know I'm supposed to love him. God, I know I'm supposed to point him to you. God, I know I'm supposed to point this coworker towards life in Jesus. God, I know that I'm just supposed to share my faith confidently, but how am I supposed to do that in this moment? How am I supposed to do that in this moment? Am I supposed to get a bullhorn and just like, you know, read them the the Romans road track of, of all have sinned and the rages of sin is death, but the gift of God is, you know, that kind of thing? Or am I supposed to do something? Is there something more subtle I'm supposed to do? Is in this conversation, am I supposed to be more direct in this conversation? And I listened to this gentleman again. I didn't ask him. I didn't say, hey, I'm preaching on this. How does this play out in your life? But it just was the course of our conversations. Talk about how am I listening? He was. He would say, how am I listening to the Lord to know what in these instances, God wants me to do what God wants me to say. That's daily discernment. He knows he's supposed to love. He knows he's supposed to serve God. He knows he's supposed to love his neighbor as himself, these people he works with and such. But how is it supposed to play out in this very moment? That's what he was looking for. God, what's the word for me to say here in this moment? God, what am I supposed to do when we're entertaining these clients and it's 2 a.m.? And we've been out for a while and a number of them have been drinking. Oh, what I'm supposed to do now is just drive them all home safely and know that they're all going to get back to their hotel rooms safely. And they're all going to know that the next day that he did that. I mean, these types of things, that's daily discernment. That's discernment that you and I need of, a, of living out what God is leading us to do in that moment. And that daily discernment sets us up for the times where decisions come that need to be discerned. Where We need God to give us an answer. So how do we do what I would call decision discernment, where these decisions are laid in front of us, we have a choice to make? I want to offer you the first step is nonjudgmental observation of what you're thinking, feeling, and intuiting. When you have a decision to make, begin by just nonjudgmentally observing What are you thinking about this decision and what you need or should do? What are you feeling? What's your gut saying to you? And in particular, noticing desolation and consolation. What do you feel in that moment? Second, I'm going to illustrate these in a moment with the rest of our story with London. Second, engage it practically. Engage it practically. Doing a pro and con list when discerning is certainly not wrong. There are significant aspects that we need to look at and say, what are the reasons we would do this? What are the reasons we would do this? What are our values? And which one of these matches up better with our values? You're trying to decide about a house that you want to move to, and you're down to two homes. And of course, you have like 30 seconds to decide in the culture of realty right now in Indianapolis because everything's off the market within hours. But you decide to take 30 minutes at least. (laughs) And you're you're writing, you've maybe already written out your values. You know, what do we value? We value proximity to a certain neighborhood. We value proximity to our family. We value highly that it's got four bedrooms. We'd really love a fenced-in yard, but actually that's not as important. It's not a non-negotiable, but it'd be really nice. And we want whatever else. And you know those values. And then you you look at those values and say, how does this house match up with these values that we have? How does this house match up with these values? That's a part of it. Now, I'll say this. That's one part of it. Because if all we do is the pro and con list in our rational head, God can't speak that way. But sometimes we might look at it and go, well, this one's better than this one. But goodness gracious, I just sense that God is saying, go to this one. And it doesn't make sense. And sometimes it won't make sense because God doesn't always make sense when we make the decision. But that's part of the mystery of discernment. So then engaging practically can be what, who are the other voices in your life who love you, the community around you, that they can speak into your decision. This again deepens our relationships. You're listening together for what God has. Asking key questions. And then uh, living as if. Making the decision and say, okay, we're going to live as if. So for example, uh, using a job situation you have a job offer in texas and you eventually decide you think through all the various things we're supposed to take it so for the next week we're going to live as if we're moving to texas we're going to be reflecting on that we're going to then continue to notice what our feelings are about that what we think about that we'll notice desolation notice consolation in that and we'll live as if and at the end of the week Living as if we're not moving to Texas. That was awful. I feel so much desolation about that decision. This is this is not where I think God is leading us. And it's not just because it's Lubbock where there's no trees and there's only sand and blowing cacti, but it's just like not to be in Texas. If you're from Lubbock, I'm sorry. I have friends from there. It's a really beautiful place. Well, it's not a really beautiful place. It's a It's a unique, beautiful landscape in God's creation. Let's say that. So you live as if. So, non-judgmental observation of desolation, consolation. I know this is super practical, but that's super important. Can you just observe yourself and whether you sense in your decision, consolation, connection with God, or desolation, disconnection with God? And then engage the things practically. Make the pro and con list. Think through your values. What are the significant aspects of this decision? Live as if. You may even do what's called a clearness committee. The Quakers have this tradition of bringing a tight group of people together you trust to ask you honest questions where they don't tell you what they think you should do. They just ask you questions that they don't know the answer to, and they're not sure you know the answer to, and that you engage relationally around that. And then you wait, and you wait for God to speak, and you wait for God to show you what it is that God wants for you to do. And in this way, when what seems like personal discernment at first, most often turns out to be corporate discernment because there's very few decisions. Even if you are a single person and not don't have a family with a spouse and kids, even as a single person, your decision affects relationships. People are always involved in the decisions we make. There's impact that's there. And so we realize that this is an opportunity to then deepen our relationships in that moment through our personal discernment. So let me share this a little more, maybe illustrate it a little more to close by telling you the rest of our London story. We walked out of our conversation with my spiritual director into a six week period, uh, and we knew it would be about six weeks. We knew we kind of had to have some kind of timeline. Beginning with non-judgmental observation. Just literally observing ourselves of what we felt. And writing it down and not observing it so when i would uh, for example when i went on the church's website in london that we would have been connected to uh their their christ their worships they had a worship song of the month their worship song of the month was a worship song called miracles well just a few weeks earlier i had had this very emotional encounter with god listening to that song as loud as possible in my house because all my kids my wife were at school where i just listened on repeat for about an hour the song miracles and i was like it's a sign We're supposed to move to London. And so I wrote it down. It's a sign. We're supposed to move to London because their worship song of the month is miracles. And I had this experience. It's a sign. And I get to non-judgmentally observe that as you're judging me right now for taking a sign off the internet that they had that song. I'm just kidding. You're not judging. So just, just tell myself, okay, that's there. That's okay. I I had a moment where I was in one moment. I was like thinking to myself, this would be such a great experience to be in London with our kids growing up, different culture, global. My parents' uh, background is, is, very global as missionaries and so thinking about that for my kids and and us and literally in the next moment i had this and i felt really like at peace about it and 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 like how this is kind of exciting and the next literally the next moment i was like how could i leave my 83 year old mother and take my kids away from their grandmother who they love so much and who probably wouldn't be able to visit us in london what am i thinking and i was sick to my stomach both of them go in my journal And both of them go in my journal with this one I felt really excited about and some consolation of connection of what God could do. And then I felt desolation. Ugh, That feels awful. I don't like this. And that's non-judgmental observation. It's whatever comes before you that you just observe of thinking, of thoughts you have, of feelings you have, of intuitions that you're, you're receiving and writing those down. And then we connected that to our values. We named our values. We, we named what was important to us about where we live and work, including our calling and proximity to family and school for our kids and, and the weather because it matters to me because as someone said to me again last night, everybody in Indiana is vitamin D efficient because there's not enough sunlight here. Amen. Amen. Anyway. And, and so what, how does that compare? Like all these different things in that way. We considered significant impacts and aspects of the decision, the opportunities that it had. We prayed just prayed listening for God. And I had a moment where I felt like God was saying to me, I am behind this, I am behind this. And at first I thought it was, I am behind this related to London. And then I eventually realized, no, I'm behind this change. Not telling you which way you're supposed to go yet, I'm just telling you I'm behind this, which I didn't like at all. I really liked my job and my colleagues. Like I thought I was in as sweet a spot as I could ever be for my job of my calling in life in my previous role. So I didn't like I'm behind this, but I sensed that that was what God was saying. We had a tight circle of people we were talking to and we received their insights. We received what they thought we should do because we valued that. We visited London and we waited. We waited trusting in the goodness of God as indifferently as we knew how to guide us. We knew that we could, this was not a decision for us to make. By the way, You don't make a decision. I know I said decision discernment, but I want to point something out here. You don't make a decision with discernment. Discernment is given. God gives us an answer when we're trying to discern a decision like this. And we waited and waited because I remember coming to a point of saying on February 11th, God, I have no idea how to make this decision. We've visited, we've written everything down, we've done our values, we've heard people speak. I, I have no clue. I just feel like I'm in a fog. And on Monday, I felt like I was still in a fog. And on Tuesday, I still felt like I was in a fog. And on Wednesday, I felt like I was in a fog. And in those three days, I continued to observe myself. I continued to talk to my wife about what she was observing, continued to uh, do the practical things. Okay, well, how much would it be to live in London? Where could we live? Can we even afford it with what the church is gonna pay us? All these different things like that. And then on Wednesday afternoon, I was driving to go see my best friend. And as clear as I will tell you right now, this is how God answered us for us in this. And I don't promise you that God will do it this way, because when God brought discernment for something else we're, that we're doing now, he didn't do it this way. But as I was driving to meet him in the three-minute drive, I literally sensed God come down, push the fog back, and lay the answer in my lap. You're going to say no. You're going to be really disappointed and you're going to be completely at peace. And we have literally not had one second of doubt since that time. We've had plenty, without going into it, plenty of reasons to doubt, and we never have, because God gave us that. And then we lived as if for 10 days. We shared with a very tight circle of people, this is what we believe, we believe we're, say, we're supposed to say no. And then eventually we told the church we don't believe god's leading us to go And so we know we'll be transitioning from here to something else And we do not know what that is And i'll tell you that story in three weeks because it relates to what we're going to preach about in august Talk about in august It was a gift from god that god was gracious to us to give us that answer and that clarity For some of you that may be frustrating because you've been in situations like i've been in and god didn't give you that clarity And I can't tell you why I don't know why God gave it to us in that way. I'm not saying that we did a plan that made it foolproof that because we did these steps, that caused God to the effect of God giving. Do not hear that? I am not saying that. I'm just telling you my story of my family, that this is what God did for us. But I do believe, I do believe that God will speak. I do believe that God will be active. And I do believe that whether it's in our daily discernment to be attentive to God or it then comes to a moment of decision that we need to be attentive to God, what has for us, what God has for us, God is wanting to speak to us because God is working and God wants to show us like he would show Jesus what he's doing. And God wants to invite us to join him in that. So God is for us to know what God's heart is. Isn't that great? Like, just pause for a minute. Like, like God wants to tell you and me what God wants. God is not a stingy father withholding the gift of insight. He's wanting to show that. I do think we have on our side the discipline of making sure we take the time to sit with God in various ways to hear then what God is showing us. And that's the practice of discernment. That is the invitation for us to have a discipline of this sacred rhythm where we cultivate a quality of attentiveness to God that we begin to have an intuitive sense of God's heart. And it will draw us into relationships with one another at a far deeper level. Because without question, that process of London for us Certainly brought unity, not only in my family unit of five, but in the very tight circle of people that in our case was surrounding us in that moment. And it was a gift, and it renewed relationships in that way. So, like Jesus, we're invited to see what God is doing and join Him. Like Jesus, we're meant to practice the presence of God so that we know how to live in love. Like Jesus, we're invited to use this discernment in significant decisions that come to our lives. And like Jesus, we deepen our relationship with God and we deepen our relationships with one another when we do that. Let's pray together. Father, I'm going to make an assumption that at least one person or one family in this room is in some form of decision where they want your wisdom. They want your discernment. They want your leading. They want your will. They want your guidance. And so first, as I pray, I ask God that for those who are waiting on you to give your answer where they're saying to you, God, we don't just want to make a decision, God, we really want to know what you want us to do with this decision. However big or small that it is to them, but that impacts them and their family, God, I pray that you will answer them. I pray that you will be active and I pray that you will speak. I pray that you will guide them to do what it is you're inviting them to do, to pay attention to you, to cultivate an awareness of you and that they'll be drawn to do that by your spirit. but I pray that you will lay in their laps what it is that is your heart. No good thing do you withhold. Not even your answers, God, which are so good for us, do you withhold. So be faithful to that promise, Father, to those who need you to be faithful to that promise right now in their life. And for all of us, Father, I pray that we would cultivate this attentiveness to you to discern throughout our days, what is it that you're doing? What do you want us to do? As simple sometimes as maybe talking to the person in the checkout line who's running our groceries through or paying for the person behind us in line at Chick-fil-A and letting them be surprised and not knowing that in their story that your impetus for us to do that is because in that moment, they've been begging to be known by you and be provided by you in some way. And, and us doing that in the line of Chick-fil-A's drive-thru is somehow some remarkable message from you to that person. And we don't know it and it doesn't matter, but we obeyed you. We knew what you wanted us to do. God, show us in the daily interactions of our life and with each other what you're doing. God, help us to pay attention. God, give us the discipline in the good sense, the good discipline To cultivate this attentiveness by sitting with you, by listening to you, by practicing, observing your Spirit's work, that we may truly, yes, live as Jesus lived, love as Jesus loved, and as Saint John of the Cross said, put love in this world where it is not, and yet where it is so desperately needed because of the pain and the brokenness of all that is around us. In Jesus' name.